we're going to come into his presence with singing this morning. We're going to worship him with joy. So stand together. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my turn till I made it.
Jesus. We just praise you, Lord. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. Working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy in all my days. Oh, yes, I You know, I love a, a couple of phrases in that song specifically. One of the lines says, yes, I will. Yes, I 
will. It's a matter of my will. And another line says, I choose to praise. You know, in this building today with this number of people, there are all kinds of situations that people are going through. And sometimes I get that oh me thing where nobody has ever suffered in this world like me and I start feeling sorry for myself. The truth of the matter is God is able to turn our mourning into dancing, our sorrow into joy. And it doesn't matter what I'm going through today. Even in the lowest valley, I'm going to choose to lift up my head, look up to heaven and say, God, I trust you today. I trust you in the middle of it all. Can we just lift our hands and our hearts to God for a moment together? Father, today we just commit our paths to you. We commit our lives to you. We worship you today because you make no mistakes. You don't lose battles and our trust is in you. We believe your word. We believe the promises you have made to us. And today, Father, it is my choice. It is my decision. Yes, I will. Yes, I will praise you today, Father. Regardless what individuals might be facing in this house, our trust is in you. And Father, we thank you today that whatever we're dealing with at the moment, you're going to turn it all to victory because you are our God and you've never failed us yet. Thank you for all of this today. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God praise just one more time together? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Wow, it's great to see everybody here. First service on Sunday morning. God bless you. Glad you're here. You know, just before we're seated, if it's your first time here at the bridge, we want to send out a special, special welcome to you today. Thanks for joining us. There are a lot of great churches in the valley. We're honored that you're here today. If you have children with you and you want to stay in the service, that's great. We have uh, bridge kids only in second service. But if, you all, if you're interested, we also have a family room off to our left down that hallway in our chapel. We have a live video feed going on there. If you have issues with the kids, you need a place to go, that's open as well. We just want you to be comfortable today and worship God with us. Take a moment, turn around, greet a few people around you, give them a wave, a high five, whatever you're comfortable with before you're seated today. to get to spend the day with you and your family. We're believing that this year is going to be full of bigger and better things that God has for our lives and for our church. So make your plans to be with us in the weeks ahead. Here's a look at what's coming up at the bridge. Our spring term for Connect Groups launched this past week. Connect Groups are a fantastic way to grow in your faith and build relationships with others in the church. We have a variety of different groups based upon age and stage of life, study topics, and special interests. Some groups are meeting in person while other groups are meeting online. You can find description, times, and locations and how to sign up at our website, thebridgechurch.tv. 
Just click the Connect tab. You can also get all the same information on the Bridge Church app. We hope you'll take advantage of these great opportunities to get connected here at the Bridge. If you are new to the Bridge and want to get involved, we want to meet you and help you get plugged in. You are invited to join us at Connecting Point on Sunday, March 7th during the 11.30 a.m. service. Connecting Point is a gathering that we've created to communicate the heart, mission, and vision of the Bridge Church, but more importantly, tell you how you can get involved and make the Bridge your home church. If you'd like to join us, we just ask that you sign up by going to our website or the Bridge app. This will help us plan for you and your family. And if you have kids, Bridge Kids will be happening during that service to serve them as well. We look forward to meeting you and helping you get connected. We'll see you on Sunday, March 7th at Connecting Point. Hey ladies, we are so excited a new season of Bridge Women is here. Our Connect Groups launched this week with an all-new series called Refocus. And our groups meet all different days of the week at all different times. So to get plugged in, simply jump onto our church app or website, thebridgechurch.tv, for a full list of groups and all the details. You don't want to miss this. If you're new to the church, we want to help you find your place and get connected. Just go to our website or the Bridge app and click on the Connect tab. There you'll find a Connect card with details to help you get connected. If you don't yet have the Bridge app, just text the keywords, the Bridge Church app, to 77977. This is the best way to stay updated with everything happening in church life. Thanks again for being in church with us today. We love spending Sunday with you and your family. Good morning, Bridge family. How you doing today? Nice. You look good. It's good to see you in church this morning in the house of God. Anybody happy to be in church today? Come on. Nice. It's going to be a good day. I'm excited for all that God has in store. Can I just add my welcome to anybody that's new here today? If this is your very first time at the bridge, welcome. We are thrilled that you are here today. Thanks for spending Sunday with us. We would love to meet you after service, so stop by the info center. Say hi to our team. We'd love to help you get connected, tell you more about the church. Anything that we can do, we would love to help you get plugged in. And you saw in church news, Connecting Point, that's happening two weeks from today during the 1130 service. Listen, every single month, there are groups of people who are choosing to make the bridge their home church, and we meet them at Connecting Point. I believe we had between 10 and 12 people last month that came to Connecting Point and made that decision to call the bridge their home church. So welcome to those of you who are new here in the church. And if that is you and you haven't yet found your place, we would love to meet you. So make your plans to join us at Connecting Point in two weeks. It's going to be Awesome. If you've got your Bibles, would you meet me this morning in Mark chapter 10? Mark 10. I want to bring you a message today called I Don't Know. The title of the message, I'm not saying that I don't know the title of the message. I'm telling you that the title of the message is I Don't Know. I was having a conversation recently with a friend of mine who's a pastor in another state, and we were just talking about life right now and what life looks like, you know, personally, but also as pastors, pastorally, what life looks like. And he asked me this question, and I don't think anybody had asked it to me before. He simply said these words. He said, what was the biggest or most important lesson that you've learned over the last year as a pastor? And I had to stop and think about it for a second, and I have an answer to that question, but as I was preparing my message today, I just had this going through my head over and over, and so I'm just going to say it out loud. Is there anybody that's just tired of talking about 2020? It's like, okay, it's over, it's done, we saw it out, we're here in a new year. I'm tired of talking about it too. 
Well, what's funny about it is that we continue to kind of talk about a lot of the circumstances that we've dealt with over the last year because a lot of them still linger, right? And so because of these lingering circumstances that are happening in the world around us, we still kind of find ourselves fighting through a lot of, as Pastor Gary said to our staff this week, the residue of the last year. And so oftentimes we find ourselves walking through these seasons of I don't know, and it feels really difficult. But I told my buddy as we were having this conversation, I said, I think the most important lesson that I've learned over the last year is that it's okay to say I don't know. It's okay to say, I don't know. Maybe right now you are at a place in your life where you feel like you were just surrounded by questions and you look at the bigger questions and the bigger concerns in your life and the answer that you continually come back to when you think about those questions is, I don't know. I don't have the answers. That's a really difficult place to be and we don't like being in I don't know seasons. And I'll just be really honest. I'm kind of open my heart for a minute and just pull back the curtain. You know, over the course of the last year, just here in our church, you know, a lot of churches had to deal with all kinds of new things that we have never dealt with before. And over the last year, I had the privilege, if you want to call it that, of getting to talk with Pastor Gary and Pastor Ann about a lot of these decision points and the things that we were considering, the things that we were weighing, the decisions that had to be made. And I just wrote a few of these things down because in talking about I don't know things, these are some of the questions that we found ourselves asking over the course of the last year. In fact, there was about five or six months where these were the steady questions that we were asking all the time. The first one was, how long will we be an online-only church? Because we were that way for about five or six months up until the fall. When do we feel comfortable opening up again? When will we know that it's okay to open up? What measures will we have to take when we do reopen? How many people will show up if we open the doors? I don't know if you thought about this, but one of the things that we had to consider is if we reopen the doors, we have no idea what to expect. We don't know how many people are going to come. We don't know who's going to come, who's going to stay home. We just didn't know. We had no idea. Will we have enough people to fill out all of our serving teams when people show up so that we can serve them? When we, or excuse me, when can we have bridge kids? I know that was a question that we were asking for a while, even after we reopened our doors. And if we do open bridge kids and we have a lot of people show up, a lot of kids show up, will we have enough people to serve all of our kids? I mean, these were the questions that we were asking here just as a, ch- as a staff, as a church family, internally before we reopened our doors last fall. And so those were some of our questions, and it seemed like every time we asked those questions, there was one answer that we kept coming back to. I don't know. And it's a really difficult thing to be in a place where the best answer you have is, I don't know. I heard a story, and I was telling this to our staff this week in one of our meetings to our pastors. I heard a story that there was a Zoom call with a a group of very prominent pastors here in our country, all of whom pastor very, very large churches, much, much larger than the bridge. And during this call, they were all asking each other, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? How do we disciple people? How do we do outreach? How do we connect with new people in the church? How do we follow up with new believers? How do we do all these different things that we've always been accustomed to doing? And one of the pastors that was in that group spoke of another pastor who he thought of as really maybe the greatest leader in the church today. He said he looked at that pastor and he said, what are we going to do? And that pastor said, I don't know. And he said, but you're the best we've got. And you don't know? If you don't know, then I don't know. It's difficult being in a position where the only answer you have is I don't know. Now, those are some of the questions that we asked ourselves for five or six months last year. But maybe you and your family or you personally have found yourself asking some of these questions in your own life. Is my job in danger? Is my business in danger? 
Are my investments in danger? Is my retirement safe? Do I have enough money in the bank if I were to face a crisis? How long will my kids be doing school from home? If it's for a long time, is that sustainable for my family and my kids? Or maybe more importantly, is that sustainable for my marriage? Because how many parents are going crazy with what you're experiencing with your kids doing school online right now? I can only imagine how crazy it is for you because I know how crazy it can be for us. Is my health and my well-being in danger if I try to live a normal life? When will it be safe to see, and I've had many, many people tell me this and ask me this question, when will it be safe to see my elderly family members that I haven't seen in a long time? Or the most common question I think that most of us find ourselves asking, when will life get back to normal? These are the questions that we've been asking, and I know if you're anything like me, there's one answer I seem to find myself at all the time. I don't know. And as human beings, we hate that feeling of insecurity. We hate that feeling of uncertainty where we look ahead and we don't have the answers because it brings us to this place where we have to come face to face with our own insufficiency. And man, we love having the answers because we feel so good and so self-sufficient when we have them. Can I be honest with you? As pastors, sometimes, man, when we have the answers, we look to the word of God, we lean into prayer and in the Holy Spirit, and we say, God, show us what to do. But then new things arise that we've never dealt with before, and we say, I don't know, and it feels so insecure, and it can feel so totally uncertain. I think we've all felt that way in one way or another over the course of the last year. But here's the thing. What if it's a healthy thing that you found yourself in an I don't know season? You might say, well, how could that be healthy? How could that be good? I don't like having the answers. Is it possible that God might allow us to walk through seasons of uncertainty so that we can discover his certainty? Is it possible that God might allow us to walk through seasons of insufficiency so that we can discover his all-sufficiency? Is it possible that God might allow us to walk through seasons of insecurity so that we can discover his complete security? There's all kinds of stories in the Bible where people faced I don't know situations, but I want to look at a couple of specific ones that are almost mirror opposites of each other, and I want to look at these two and talk about what it means to live our lives with an eternal perspective when we find ourselves in a season of I don't know. So here we go, Mark chapter 10. I want to read to you. This is a very familiar story for a lot of us that have been in church most of our lives. This is Jesus and his encounter with the rich young ruler, okay? Now, Jesus deals with a very specific topic in the rich young ruler's life, but I want to take it and look at it from a bigger, eternal perspective if we can. Now, if you're familiar with this story, I want to just take a second here and lay something out for you because there's three subjects or three people, groups of people that are in this story. First, we have the rich young ruler, then we have Jesus, and then we have the disciples. And they all learn a little bit about each other right here in this passage of Scripture. So if you're familiar with this, you'll know where this goes. But everybody else, this might be the first time that you walk through this. Tune in and look at what Jesus has to say to the rich young ruler who comes to him for security. Rich young ruler says, Mark 10, verse 17, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life. That's the first question that he asks when he walks up to Jesus. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, 
and that is God. Now let's just stop right there for a minute because I don't want to dive too deep into the weeds of of this particular story because there's one other place that we want to go today in Scripture. But right here at the beginning, at the outset of this passage, Jesus throws down the gauntlet on the rich young ruler. Because rich young ruler walks up to him and he says, what do I need to do that I may obtain or inherit eternal life? And he calls him good teacher. And Jesus immediately listens to the words of his mouth and he asks him the question, you call me good, but don't you know that there's only one who's good and that is God? Immediately Jesus brings him face to face with the good or God question. And all of us at the beginning of our walk with God are going to have to settle the good or the God question in our life. Do we see Jesus merely as good, or are we willing to allow him to become God in our life? Is he just good, or can he become God? And it's a question of discipleship. It's a question of followership. It's a question of me releasing and turning over everything else in my life to obtain the one thing that is of greater value above everything else. And as soon as he walks up and calls Jesus good, Jesus says, it's good that you call me good, but good ain't good enough. Am I good? Or am I God? That's the gauntlet that's thrown down. So why do you call me good? Don't you know that there's only one who's good, and that's God? So he goes on to answer this question. How is it that I can obtain eternal life? Look at verse 19. Well, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Now, how many people know about the Ten Commandments? Jesus just mentioned six of them. If you want to have some fun with this passage of Scripture, go home and look at the four he doesn't mention and ask yourself the question, did the rich young ruler really keep the law in all of his ways? So look at his response. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. But what about the other ones, right? Then Jesus says, verse 21, looking at him, he loved him. I imagine Jesus connecting with him and having this moment where he realizes he's after something important here. He wants to find the key to eternal life. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, there's one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. Now let's just stop right here for just a moment. When the rich young ruler tells Jesus that he's kept these commandments, it's almost as if he's looking back at Jesus and saying, oh yeah, I've checked all those religious boxes. I've been a good little boy. I've followed all the rules. I've done my very best. Surely that's good enough. And what he doesn't see is the elephant in the room that Jesus immediately identifies. Because the rich young ruler was the guy that had the stuff, the status, and the style. And when he rolled up, his kind of presence goes before him, and he rolls up as the guy who has everything figured out in this life. And when he checks all those religious boxes and says, oh yeah, Jesus, from the time that I was a kid, I have kept these commands, Jesus realizes it's all right here, and it hasn't made its way here. And here's the disciples over here watching, and we're going to get to them in just a moment. But Jesus says, well, since you're so religious and you seem to have life figured out, I'm going to give you the ultimate challenge. There's one thing you lack. Sell everything you own. Give it all away. Take the money and give it to the poor. Take up your cross and come follow me. Now, in the natural, we hear this, and the very first thing that we think is, wow, Jesus is rough. Jesus is like Give it all away, sell it all, give your life up? I mean, that sounds really difficult, right? Because in the natural, we tend to look at the life that the rich young ruler has, and we say, that's the life that I want. I want status, I want stuff, I want style, and I want everyone around me to know that I got things figured out. 
But Jesus sees beyond perception. He sees beyond the outside, and he recognizes that the issue of the heart is the status, the stuff, and the style, and those are the things that are sitting on the throne of his life. So Jesus says, oh, you want security in the life that is to come? I'm about to really throw an obstacle at you here. Give it all away. Sell it. Give the money away. Come, take up your cross, and follow me. You want security in the life that is to come? Step into insecurity in this life. You want certainty in eternity? Step into uncertainty in the right here and the right now. Now, that's difficult. Can we all just be honest for a minute? That's difficult. That's really tough. And we tend to look at the story right here, and in this moment, we think, wow, Jesus is kind of harsh. But what we miss is that while Jesus throws the obstacle down in front of the rich young ruler, he also throws out the opportunity and says, come and follow me. See, for all of us here today, we are 21st century Christians. We are following Jesus, though we never saw him face to face. The rich young ruler walked up and stood before him, and when Jesus threw down the gauntlet, he realized this might be too difficult for me to do. I don't know if I can do this. So while Jesus does give an opportunity, the rich young ruler is stumbling over the obstacle of all of his stuff, his status, and his style. So what does he do? Finally, verse 22. But he, the rich young ruler, was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Or many of you will know this, a great way to read this. Great possessions had him. When I think about this story, I'm blown away at how the rich young ruler, a man who had good intentions, comes to Jesus and what he wants to know, what are the keys so that I can obtain eternal life. What he's asking for is a sense of security because in this life, he's got all the security he could want. But he realizes it's not enough. He realizes there's going to be an end to this thing. There's a day coming where everything that I have is going to pass away and all my security now will be security of yesterday. I'm going to step into eternity and I need to know in my heart. I need to be certain. I need to know that I have security when this life comes to an end. The question that he's asking isn't a bad question. But when Jesus throws down the obstacle in front of him, the thing he's going to have to cross over in order to obtain it, he realizes that it's way too much for me to do. I'm unwilling to trade my security in this life for security in the future. In other words, I'm unwilling to step into insecurity now to discover your security in eternity, Lord. And that blows me away. I think that for all of us in our Christian walk, we are going to have moments of certain uncertainty. We're going to have moments of certain uncertainty. Let me put it to you another way. There are, it is very predictable that in our Christian life, we are going to face unpredictability. And the reason why is because God is always looking for faith. God is always looking for trust. We know quite clearly that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And there are going to be seasons in our life where we will face certain uncertainty. We come to an, uh, uh, some sort of stoplight. We come to some sort of intersection, some sort of difficulty in our life, and we don't know what's next. And God says, you might not have the answers, but I am asking you to step into the uncertain, to step into the insecure so that you can discover all of my security and certainty in your life. And in this picture here with the rich young ruler, it's literally talking about eternity. Now, I want you to skip down to verse 24 because this is the approach of the rich young ruler. He's willing to part with his stuff. He's unwilling, excuse me, he's unwilling to part with his stuff. He's unwilling to part with his status. And he walks away sorrowful 
because his possessions had a hold of his heart. They were the Lord of his life, and he was unwilling to lay them down and follow Jesus. Now think about this picture for a moment, because you have the disciples standing over here, and they're watching this whole thing play out. And I imagine the disciples, as they stood there, saw the rich young ruler walk up, and his status goes before him. His stuff, his looks, everything that was happening in his life goes before him. They stand there and watch him, and they recognize that this man has everything that they don't. This man would probably have been the envy of society. But the disciples look at themselves and say, we don't even have jobs anymore. We left our trade. We left our family. We left what little possessions we did have so that we could go and follow Jesus. And I imagine that these disciples, in the first moment that they encountered the rich young ruler, they probably felt pretty insecure because he was everything that they weren't. And this story isn't just about the rich young ruler. It's about the thing that the disciples discover as it plays out. Because when he's unwilling to part with that and kick the stuff off the throne of his life and not accept Jesus as the Lord of his life, it's like the disciples have an epiphany. Now watch this, verse 24. It says, And the disciples were astonished at Jesus' words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches. That's an important phrase, for those who trust in in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? Who can really be saved? I mean, that guy had life figured out. He checked all the religious boxes. He seemed to be better off than we are, and he can't be saved? But I love what happens next. Look at this, verse 28. Then Peter began to say to him, see, we have left all. We've left everything. That guy seems to have everything. We have nothing. We've left everything and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, oh yeah, with persecutions, there's the fun part, and in the age to come will receive eternal life. This was Jesus' way of telling his disciples, you might feel like you have nothing, but you have everything. You might feel insecure when following me, but you are in the most secure place that you could possibly be. And for each and every one of us, when we find ourselves at these I don't know times in our lives, these moments of certain uncertainty where things seem to be kind of dark and kind of cloudy and we're not really sure what our next steps are, we might feel insecure, but we have to understand that when we reach the end of our, our sufficiency, that's when we discover the beginning of God's. And God wants to walk us through the seasons of I don't know so that we can let go of our own presumptions. We can let go of our own security and sufficiency and discover his because God's plan for our lives is so much better than anything we can create for ourselves. His eternity is so much better than anything we can create after this life for ourselves. And we have to know that. We have to understand that insufficiency, these times of insecurity, these times of uncertainty, they're an invitation to draw near to God so that we can discover more of who he is in our life. The rich young ruler, he was grasping at straws. He was looking out and saying, I'm unwilling to let go of all this stuff. Sure, you might be offering me security in the life that is to come, but not if it costs me security here. 
Man, isn't it interesting how often when we find ourselves in moments of insecurity, we grasp at anything we can hold on to. And what God wants us to do is to let go of all those things that give us a sense of security and discover his security, discover his sufficiency, discover his certainty. You know, I was thinking about these, these thoughts about what do you do when you don't know what to do? When you find yourself in a moment where no road seems to be the right road, what do you do? There's a couple things that stand out to me here, and I want you to take these down if you're taking notes this morning. What do you do when you find yourself in an I don't know season? What do you do when you don't know what to do? Here's the first thing. Number one, humble yourself. Humble yourself. I think one of the most humble prayers that we can pray before God is to come and say, God, I don't know what to do. This is the end of me. I have exhausted myself. I have gone through history. I have looked at my patterns. I've thought about what I've done in the past. I've looked at what seems to be the best thing, but there's no road that seems to be the right road, and I've just got to be honest with you, God. I don't know what to do. What's interesting about this is that James wrote about this, and in James chapter 4, there's one really simple verse that has a whole lot of meaning inside of it that I think we can learn something from. He says in James chapter 4, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, we know that passage, but here's what's cool about this. If you look at this word picture in the original Greek, to humble yourself is like this. It's to come into the presence of God and bow my life before God and recognize, God, I'm not as big as I think I am sometimes. God, I don't know as much as I like to think I know sometimes. God, your wisdom your knowledge, your understanding, it far surpasses my experience. And right now in this moment, I'm coming before you and I'm being honest and I'm just laying it out there and saying, I don't know what to do. So therefore, I'm humbling myself in your sight. What's cool about this is that the passage, that verse right there, it goes on and it says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Sometimes we can see, seem to be so great in our own sight until we have that moment of, I don't know, and we have to humble ourselves and say, God, I've just got to be honest, I don't know what to do. But if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, the promise is, he will lift you up. I love it when I come in here on Sunday mornings. I love our time of worship together. I love it when I look across the room and there's somebody with the boldness, or maybe the better word is, somebody or a few people with the humility to just get down on their knees and bow their life before God. Now, I know that that's a worshipful act, but I also know that in that moment, there are people who are laying it all out there and saying, God, I humble myself before you right now because the truth is, I don't know what to do. And we like to think that the moments of great, uh, of great epiphany and, and sufficiency are these moments where we, in our own strength, can look out over the situation and say, here's the path forward, here's what I'm supposed to do. But instead, in the kingdom of God, when we bow our lives low before God and recognize our insufficiency, that's the moment that God lifts us up. If we can humble ourselves, it's an opportunity for God to show us his perspective on things. And right now, you might be in a situation where you're trying to find the answers to whatever it is that you're going through. Can I just be really honest with you for a moment? The first thing you need to do is get down on your knees and say, God, I don't know. I can't see the path forward, but what I do know is that if I humble myself before you, you're going to lift me up and show things to me the way that you see them. Being humble, humbling ourselves before God and putting ourselves in the right place before him is the way that he shows us his perspective on our lives from his kingdom view. 
Here's a second thought. What to do when you don't know what to do. Get an eternal perspective on things. Get an eternal perspective on things. You know, that story that we just read from Mark chapter 10 comes on the heels earlier on of Jesus saying these words. He said, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus here is talking about profit and loss, profit and loss, profit and loss. But you can't experience profit or loss unless you choose to make an investment. And all of us throughout the course of our life, we can choose to invest our lives in things that are going to be here today and gone tomorrow. Or we can choose to invest our lives in things that will outlive us and make eternal investments. The rich young ruler didn't realize that if he were to sell off everything he had, give the money to the poor, he would have been making an eternal investment and then going and following Jesus. Instead, he was more happy holding on to what he had in this life. I'll tell you something. When you find yourself in an I don't know situation, humble yourself and ask God for an eternal perspective. God, what are the kingdom decisions I need to make? Not just the me decisions, not just the right now decisions. What are the kingdom decisions, the long-term decisions that I need to make? When you don't know what to do, humble yourself and ask for an eternal perspective. Now, I just want to read one more verse to you real quick. Because I know that when we find ourselves in these I don't know seasons, one of the things that we tend to do is just reach out and grab at anything that we can hold on to. But perhaps it's a blessing to find ourselves having to lean on God's sufficiency when we feel insufficient. You know, in Matthew chapter 5, we see the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus goes into the Beatitudes. And I love the way that the message writes this out, and I really feel like this is going to be for a few people today. It says in Matthew 5 and verse 3 from the message, paraphrase, it says, You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. I'm blessed when I'm at the end of my rope. You're blessed at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one who is most dear to you. And I love this, verse 5. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that cannot be bought. We have to have an eternal perspective when we have, find ourselves in I don't know situations. Now, speaking of eternal perspective, go with me real quick here at the end of the message today to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. The Apostle Paul is in Ephesus in Matthew, or excuse me, in Acts 19 and 20. And one of the interesting things about Paul's life at this point is that Paul is getting used to being threatened. He's getting used to being enslaved, imprisoned, beaten, stoned. There's all kinds of crazy stuff that's going on in his life. It feels like his security, his certainty in this world is always being challenged. But one of the themes that starts to develop in Acts chapter 19 is that the people in Paul's world are telling him to do something that God, or telling him not to do something that God is telling him to do. And he feels compelled deep in his heart like he's supposed to go back to Jerusalem and minister, but he doesn't know everything that he's going to face, doesn't know everything that he's going to encounter. He's going to be going back to the hub, the epicenter of Judaism. He's going to go back and he'll be looked at as a traitor. He'll be looked at somebody who's now preaching a false message because he's accepted Christ, even though he used to persecute people who were for Christ and followed Christ. He knows that there's difficulty that's in front of him, but everything inside of him is telling him that very soon I need to go back to Jerusalem. Now, in Acts 19, just to give you some background real quick, as he's in Ephesus, 
There begin to be these people that rise up against his ministry because as the ministry of Jesus grows there in Ephesus, there are people who have created shrines to a false goddess that they worship there in Ephesus. And so pretty soon there's a riot because they don't want to lose that business. We're making good money building these shrines to this goddess. And they come up against Paul and his disciples. And it seems as though the ministry might be failing there soon in Ephesus because of this riot that takes place. The thing gets settled, and Paul decides in his heart, okay, it's time for me to go to Jerusalem. There's opposition all around me. People all around me are telling me not to go. But I know in my heart that I'm supposed to go because I'm living my life on mission. Everybody else might look at this and say, that's crazy. But Paul's certain that this is what he's supposed to do. So look at Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, we just talked about that, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but I proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying, from the moment we met, I've been faithful in ministry. You should know my reputation at this point, that I am going to do the thing that God has called me to do. I'm not going to deviate from it. I'm not going to get off of that path. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. And everybody around me might be questioning the decision I'm about to make, and it might feel like an I don't know moment, but something inside of me is saying, I do know what it is that I'm supposed to do. And even if my certainty and my security is threatened, I'm going to follow God and the leading of his Holy Spirit. So watch what happens next. I love what it says in verse 22. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit, remember those words, bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Wow, that sounds like great news, right? Chains and tribulations await me, and God's calling me to go there. Verse 24, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, I want to read those last three verses to you really quickly in the NIV, because I like the way that they say these, these words of Paul. And now, compelled by the Spirit, the New King James said, bound in the Spirit, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. I'm certain of this. I'm certain of the uncertainty that I'm about to face. But I love this right here, verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus have given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Verse 22, he says, I'm compelled by the Spirit to go back to Jerusalem and minister. I'm certain that God's calling me to do that. But between where I am and the certain thing he's called me to, there's a whole lot of uncertainty in front of me because I know I'm going to face hardships. I know I might be beaten. I know I might be imprisoned. I know I might be enslaved. There's a whole lot of uncertainty between here and there, but God has called me to a very certain thing. And how does he know this? Because of what it says there in verse 22, I'm compelled by the Spirit. I'm compelled by the Spirit. The New King James and the King James, they say, bound 
in the spirit. The original Greek words there are deo, pneuma. I'm bound. This thing is wrapped around me. I am so tightly wound within what the Holy Spirit is calling me to do. It's got me immersed. It's got me wrapped up. It's almost as if I'm not going to go off and act on my own. I'm so tightly wrapped up in what God has called me to do that I'm going to go where he's calling me to go. And what's interesting is deo, I'm bound, pneuma, by the Spirit of God. Now, when we see that word pneuma, we know that kind of the word picture there is breath or wind or air. It's like the breath of God, the wind of God. I'm so tightly bound to the Spirit of God that it's pushing me, it's blowing me, it's calling me in that direction to go to this place that he wants me to go. I think that one of the coolest things that can happen in our Christian life is when we find ourselves in this place where we are so tightly wound to the Spirit of God that no matter what uncertainty might be following me or might be surrounding me, I know that 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 God is calling me to go even when things feel uncertain. And Paul finds himself where he says, I'm so tightly wrapped up by the Spirit of God that it's almost like he's taking me to this place surrounded by uncertainty. But rather than be afraid of the uncertainty that he's facing, look at the eternal perspective that he has. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I love that because Paul looked while everybody else was trying to tell him, Paul, have you not considered the natural circumstances? Have you not considered all the uncertainty? Paul says, oh, I know about the uncertainty. But I'm certain about one thing. God's called me to go. And if God's called me to it, he's going to see me through it, no matter what I might face. Listen to me. There's people here today that you feel compelled by the Spirit of God to continue, to keep going, to persevere, to go through. And you feel as though you're surrounded by adversity. You feel like you're surrounded by uncertainty. And right now, you might be in an I don't know moment. But guess what? If you will wrap yourself up, if you will become so immersed in the spirit of God and understand that he has called you to something, there is no devil in hell that's going to talk you out of it. Because we know that the most secure place to be is right next to God, wrapped up in his Holy Spirit, taking us where he's calling us to go. Can anybody say amen to that this morning? Just a few thoughts in closing. Paul understood that the value of his life wasn't measured in time, but it was measured in eternity. When he says, I consider my life worth nothing, was Paul saying that his life was worthless? Was Paul saying that his life had no value? You know, today we would say, well, it sounds like Paul had really low self-esteem. He should see a psychologist. No, Paul understood that his life was about an eternal mission, not a a temporal thing that existed here on this earth. He understood that the opportunity God had given him in life was to make an eternal investment that would outlive him. And even though the world around him, even his own friends, his own followers were telling him, Paul, have you considered the uncertainty? Paul's like, oh, I know, but I'm certain that God has called me to it. He understood that the value of his life wasn't measured in time. It was measured in eternity. The investment of my life into the kingdom of God isn't an investment in time. It's an investment in eternity. And while I may receive some rewards in this life, my greatest rewards await me when this life comes to an end. And I have to live this life knowing that my rewards lie in heaven. Closing today, I believe that there are many people who are here, maybe you're watching online, feeling insecure, 
feeling uncertain about the future? You have questions about your career, your business, your family, your finances, your marriage, your relationships? Maybe as you consider all of these questions, the only answer that you continue to come back to is, I don't know. I want to tell you today that if you feel like you are standing in a moment of insecurity, perhaps you're in the most secure place that you can be because the only other place you can turn is to God for his help. If you find yourself in a moment of uncertainty, the most certain thing you can do is look to God and say, God, I don't know, but I know that you have the answers. We live in an I don't know moment right now. My goodness, we're looking in so many different directions for answers, for certainty, for security, and we can surely feel uncertain and insecure. I believe God's saying to us right now, if you've run out of options, you've discovered that I'm about, to have, I'm about to show you that I'm all you'll ever need. There's an old quote that says that when God is all you have, you discover that he's all you'll ever need. I was talking to a gentleman yesterday, Pastor Corey and I, after Bridge Men, and he was telling us about a big decision that he has coming up. He's in this service right now. I won't point him out. I just feel in my heart like there's a lot of people that you're facing big decisions right now, and the thing that's holding you back is the uncertainty about the future. I don't have the answer. I just believe so strongly in my heart that there's two things that we need to do today. Number one, we need to humble ourselves before God, ask that he would lift us up and show us his perspective. And the second part, we need to have an eternal perspective. God, what do I need to do right now that can be an eternal investment and invest my life in something that will outlive me. I just want to ask you if you bow your heads for just a moment right there where you're at. I want to just pray for everybody in the room. I know that maybe there's going to be some people here today and you walk in and you say, Zach, I feel pretty good about things. I'm not feeling insecure or uncertain. Why don't you pray for the people around you who might be feeling that right now? Father, right now we come into your presence and we humble ourselves before you. God, I bow my knees in your presence and I recognize that there's an end to me. My sufficiency runs out. My resource runs out. My provision in and of myself, it runs out. But I know, God, that when I reach the end of me, that's when I discover the beginning of everything you have. Today, I pray that as we humble ourselves in your presence for the, the I don't knows that we have in our life, for the questions, the uncertainties, the insecurities that we have. I pray that as we humble ourselves, as we bow our lives at your feet, that you will lift us up and show things to us from your perspective. Give people perspective today in Jesus' name as they humble their lives. For people who are facing difficult decisions today, I pray that you would show them your perspective, show them the big picture, help them to play the movie out that you see, God. Pray for people today that are unsure about the future when it comes to their business, their finances, their families, their relationships, and their marriages. I pray that as they humble themselves and they just admit today that they don't have the answers, that you would lift them up and show them things from your perspective and show them what the best course of action is and what it is that they're supposed to do. Father, secondly, we take our lives and we lay them at your feet and we ask that your kingdom would come in and through our lives. God, give us an eternal perspective. What is it that we can do with our lives today that will outlive us tomorrow? What can we do to make an eternal investment and see through the temporal things that surround us? God, I pray that we won't be caught up in the temporal. We won't be caught up in the fleeting, the fading. We won't be caught up in the things that are here today and gone tomorrow. But in every decision that we make, 
we would think kingdom, we would think eternity, and we would act from there with your knowledge and your wisdom in all areas of our life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just stay there for a minute. Just feel like God's speaking to some people right now in this moment. heads bowed and eyes closed just for one more moment. We talk about an eternal perspective. You might be here today and your heart's troubled by, by all the things that are happening in this world, the temporal things, the fleeting things, the circumstances of life. Maybe your life just seems to be surrounded by question marks and I don't knows. I want to tell you today that the one place that we want to be absolutely certain in our life is the condition of our heart and our soul and what happens when this life does come to an end because it's going to come to an end for all of us. You might even be here today and you have all the security in the world when it comes to this life. But when you think about this life coming to an end, you're unsure about what happens when you step into eternity. I just want to take a moment and tell you that God loves you so much that he doesn't want to spend eternity apart from you. He wants to spend it with you. If you've never made a decision to invite Jesus into your life, to become the Lord of your life, to take the reins of your life and become your savior. I would love to lead you into that relationship today. It's not about me. It's not about magic words. It's about your commitment to the amazing work that Christ has already done. Scripture tells us that we're all sinful people, that God loved us so much in the midst of our sin that he sent Jesus to this earth to take our place on the cross. And he gave his very best in exchange for our very worst so that we could be redeemed, we could be forgiven and cleansed of all of our sin. But Jesus didn't just come and die on a cross. Scripture tells us that three days later, he was raised back to life, conquering death and hell and the grave for you and I so that we would not have to face it when this life is over. And we can step into all that God has for us in this life and eternity by just simply committing our life to him and living for him all the days of our life and following him. If you've never done that, I would love to walk you into that relationship today, just starting with a prayer. We're gonna pray a prayer here in just a moment and I wanna invite everybody in the room to pray this prayer with me. Say these words right out loud. Just mean it with everything you have inside of you. Repeat these words after me if you will. Just say, Jesus, I thank you for dying for me on the cross. I believe that your death was full payment for my sin and I believe that I am now forgiven. I also believe that you were raised from the dead and that you conquered death for me. So today, I put my faith in you. I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. I will follow you all the days of my life and into eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, there's nothing special about those words. It's not magic words. It's the commitment that you make in your heart to this thing that Christ has done for us. And we're so glad that you have made that decision today to follow Jesus. We have a couple more instructions we want to give you that Pastor Corey is going to give you in just a moment. But I just want to say congratulations. Well done. Thank you. This is just the beginning of a journey throughout the course of your life of following Jesus. There's a room full of people that have made that decision at one point in their life and are still doing it today. So why don't we put our hands together as a church family and welcome some people into God's family. Amen. Can we say thank you to Pastor Zach for that awesome, awesome message this morning?
Hey, if you just made that decision, whether you're here in the house or you're watching online, it truly is the best decision you could possibly make with your life. But it's not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning. And so we want to walk this next week out um, with you in this journey. So if you're watching online, if you're in the house, we want to get you a gift called The Next Seven Days. If you're here, there's a couple ways that you could get it. First, there's going to be prayer teams at uh, the lower level of the auditorium, either side of the room, that are ready to give you this booklet. They're ready to pray with you as well. Just go up to them, hey, I prayed the prayer. Can I get the booklet? If you're in a big rush, before you get outside, there's a table right there with a TV over it. It'll say The Next Seven Days. You could go right up to the team there, say, hey, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you. If you're watching online, right there, wherever you're watching, there's a little connect tab. Click, let us know you made the decision, and we could get the booklet there. If you can't find the tab, if you can't figure out where to go, no worries. Find any one of our social media platforms. Just direct message us the words next seven, and we will do the rest. Hey, can we welcome one more time people into the family of God? Hey, this is the part in our service where we get to worship God with our giving through offering. And Pastor Zach spoke such a great, great, great message. And the one thing that's certain is we will face uncertainty. But one thing I know is also certain, God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness is so certain. And I've been following Jesus for 16 years of my life now, and there hasn't been a moment in those 16 years that he has not been faithful to me. And so for me, I I just think, well, I want to remain faithful to him then, whether the times are certain or uncertain. And I know that there's many, many, many people who are wishing that they made investment in GameStop a few weeks ago. Um, But I'm so blessed to have been able with eternal perspective to make eternal investments. What's funny, Pastor Zach, is I I planned to mention the gentleman that we prayed for yesterday um, because... Uh, I won't point him out or, or name him or anything either, but, but he walked up to us and said, hey, you know, I, I'm starting a business, and I want God to come first, to be at the center. I want to know that God's blessing it. And that's just, I mean, yesterday at, at the men's breakfast, I was just so blessed because I was reminded we are in a community and a body of people that have eternal perspective, willing to so generously make eternal investments. So as you give today, Just be reminded, God is so faithful. Whether times are certain or uncertain for you right now, God is so, so, so faithful. There's a handful of ways that you could give on the screen. If you brought a physical gift, you want to give that today. Um, Before you get to the foyer, there's a drop box, an offering station at either side um, of the exit doors. There's another one off to the right in the foyer near the kids' check-in right there. Have you guys enjoyed being in church today? I know that I have. Before you go today, this week, somebody say this week. This week, the Bridge Church Connect Groups kick off. If you don't have a Connect Group, make sure to find one. Ladies, all the ladies in the room say this week. This week, Bridge Women Connect Groups start as well. If you don't have one, if you haven't signed up yet, hop on the app, go online, go to our social media, find a group. You will be blessed for it. We love you so, so much. We'll see you very soon. Have a great week.